everybody welcome to the ohio bigfoot podcast part of ohiobigfootproject.com the ohio bigfoot research and investigation center i'm your host mike and uh today's most likely going to be a two-part series possibly a three but two for sure most likely and uh today we're going to talk about bigfoot language So, there's a lot of topics to cover, which is why it's probably going to be more than a one-part series. And uh, with that being said, let's just dive right into it. So, when it comes to the art of language, we as humans have a very uniformed way of speaking using certain words. These words placed together, they either make us understandable or they make us illogical. For instance, if I said I enjoy making podcasts, then you get the sense that I find some type of enjoyment out of making podcasts. But if I said something like cow's oil windowless light bulbs then you're probably wondering, what in the heck am I even talking about? So it's these placement of words that we have together in the English language and other languages that make sense of things. Now, figuring out the Bigfoot language is like going to a foreign country and not knowing the lingo. I don't speak Spanish. I don't speak Latin. I don't speak Islamic, French, or German. So I cannot converse with anyone outside of the English language. With humans, however, you can guess sentiment behind the language based upon the volume of the voice and the body language used to express certain words. For instance, if a French lady said something to me, and then I said something to her, and then she slapped me in the face... Obviously, I said something wrong. If a Spanish lady said something to me, and I said something to her, and then she gave me a high five, I must have did something right, right? Pretty simple. Well, this is where, um, for me, bow hunting comes in extremely handy, because I speak fluent deer, raccoon, Coyote, beaver, squirrel, goose, duck, turkey, and many, many, many more. I have, uh, I've called turkey and made the wrong sound that made them run away. Probably the most complex language I've ever encountered is the American coyote. Um, they cheat and they're, I think, bilingual. I'm serious, They, they have a... A weird, very drawn-out wealth of language. So how do we make sense of a language that no one understands? An unstudied language, if you will. It's simply by guesstimation. It's simply 100% guessing. 
and no profound knowledge. So I thought I would share my theories behind the language of Bigfoot. Now remember, I'm not an expert. I have no valid proof. I have no profound insights. This is simply my guesses based on the associated language of wildlife. I have over 1,200 hours of wildlife management under my belt and over 30 years of field work. I hunt from the time season starts until it ends, and coyote season has no end. I am when in, but when the main seasons do end, I'm back to studying, learning, scouting, reading, you name it. I hunt multiple species, and I've spent days on end pursuing wild game. There is a time wild game made up 100% of my daily diet. Now it makes up about 35% as I prefer the hunt and the chase over the kill. So I can with all certainty tell you that I understand wildlife more than your average person. I have hunted more than average, I've been on more trips than average, and I've been successful many times over. I have probably eight things some would never dream about, but I also have a great wealth of knowledge of the history of wildlife in North America, the North American wildlife model, and the story of conservation. <clears throat> But all this still makes me no scholar to the language of Bigfoot, just giving you my background. So when I say I understand wildlife much more than most people, I'm actually legit in making that claim. So with that, I give you the Ohio Bigfoot Guide of Theories to the Language of Bigfoot. By the way, if you have a pen and paper, you might want to write a couple things down. I'll let you know when. And, uh, yeah. So, let's start with footprints. Many people don't think of footprints being language. But you can learn many things. For instance, wildlife moves with a purpose. None more than the raccoon, which moves with absolute purpose. Wildlife doesn't just wander around aimlessly. It knows where it's going. A raccoon is either moving directly towards its home den, a latrine, a food source, or a water source, except during breeding season, then some erratic behavior applies. But footprints, they tell you the direction of travel. They give you a rough weight based on depth and physical characteristics. A deer track, for instance, can tell you if the animal that left that print is a buck or a doe, a male or a female. So figuring out where the prints are headed based on the map is a lot of fun and a big part of hunting because most wildlife follows one main rule, and that's that wildlife will almost always follow the path of least resistance because it makes a much quicker getaway. So knowing this helps. 
They can also show you scars or a deformity that is individual specific. Like I'm sure in a movie or somewhere along the line you've heard of old three toes the bear. Because whenever his prints were found it had three toes and it was a big bear running around eating people or sheep or something. And old three toes, I mean, so it can be individual specific. Now, when I think of Bigfoot footprints, what really comes to mind for me is the Harani Indians. Okay, now this is one that you want to write down, maybe. It's H-U-A-O-R-A-N-I, Harani. And look this up on Google. Look at the feet of the Harani Indians. They don't wear shoes ever. They live in the jungle, and they walk on um, rocky territory, and they're not the only tribe to have this. But when you look at their feet compared to a normal person, it's just wow. It's it's just mind-boggling. So another language that, um, something that's not looked at as language is scat, feces, poo. But in the hunting world, it is. Okay, think about one of the first things that we do as humans when you get out of bed. Usually within 15 minutes, you go to the bathroom. When I get home from work after a long day and I'm the hustle and bustle and I'm moving and da-da-da, one of the first things I do is I use the bathroom. Okay, so if you find an area that has bulk masses of scat droppings just littered across the area, you're very close to the bedding area of the animal that left that those piles just littered on the landscape. Because generally speaking, wildlife will almost always use the same spots. They move with purpose. Okay, so when you find these scat piles, now if you find just random scat here, they're sure. But like a raccoon will always use the same log. A uh, swamp rabbit will actually make a mound out of his poo or feces or scat. And that's how it marks its territory. And it talks to possible mates via pheromones. But yeah, they will literally make it their own little king of the hill miniature mountain of feces um, deer use urine to communicate for potential mates and a buck will clean an area and urinate in the center of it this is called a scrape and uh, plus the scat can tell you what they're eating uh, I've dissected tons of scat in the wild um, you know, for bones, fish scales, color, so on, so moss, you name it. It can give you an idea of what the animal's doing. But a lot of people don't know this, but it can also many times, not always, not with all wildlife, but generally speaking, you can tell the sex of the animal via the scat left behind. Now, I know you're probably thinking, well, this guy's full of crap. <laughs> but no, seriously. Um, okay, when a male deer, a buck, is out looking for a mate, his brain is more about breeding 
and a whole less about feeding. So he might move more, drink less, eat less. So his feces will come out almost human-like. I mean, literally, you can walk up on a buck dropping and think a person just used the bathroom there. Where a doe will remain to make pellets, you know, those little rabbit pellet looking deals that deer make. Well, that's your does. Okay, a turkey will make tight blobs, the tom, where a hen will leave loose puddles. Because hens, they pass eggs and they have a much less compact canal because they pass eggs regularly. So, usually the tight, clumpy is a male and then the looser is a female. A lot of people don't know that. But in the hunting world, yeah, that's something that we live by. <clears throat> um, Google buck scat versus doe scat and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. And then uh, tree structures. Okay, these tree formations, tree structures. For many years, people have used markings to communicate as well as some animals. Some of this is actually unintentional. But first we have to agree that Bigfoot does have some type of intelligence over, say, a mouse or a deer or a bear. They have to be just a touch smarter than your average wildlife, which is not that far-fetched. Not saying they have to be able to have the ability to operate a smartphone, but a little smarter than your average wildlife. Okay, now there's three meanings that I've heard. There's only two that I use. And the first one is, I feel a large structure serves as a gate. Not for us, but for those of their own species. Think of a gate blocking a stairway for to keep a child from falling down the stairs, okay? Beyond this point is danger. You're blocked off. So maybe they can mean that beyond this point, humans roam, be warned. The one that I lean towards the most is territorial markings. Bucks, deer, elk, bear, turkey, basically all animals will fight for a mate. All animals will mark their territory. All hens, and in the turkey world, there's a hierarchy. I'm not even going to get into it right now, but trust me, there's a hierarchy with wild turkeys. Okay, and the hen gets prime location. The queen hen, okay, the, the main hen. Um, but yeah, it's all made to mark territory. A doe deer marks territory, and not only that, a doe deer is brutal about this. Okay, and to her own offspring. When she has fawns and one starts to uh, turn into a mature buck, slightly after um, uh, button buck stage, <clears throat> when they just have little knobs on their head, a doe will bite, kick, and stomp the living crap out of this young buck 
to drive it away from the home area. I don't know if it's um, to keep it from breeding with siblings or if it's competition or what because any doe fawns, they can stick around. They can run with the, the main doe for years and it just happens. But a buck, he gets kicked out of home and it is brutal. I mean almost deadly fatal if he doesn't leave brutal um and that's all way to mark territory everything marks territory the swamp rabbit uses the mound the raccoon uses the latrine log um turkeys use roost but they don't always roost in the same spot but they roost in the same area and again there's a hierarchy there so coyotes use they mark their territory and they compete with wolves and other coyotes and other predatory animals. So that's what I think tree structures are. Um, in fact, it could also be a, a warning to those roaming males that if they enter beyond this point, the dominant male might square up and throw hands to help keep his ladies safe from wannabe players. And I'll get into the, the, the Bigfoot family structure. That'll be a whole nother podcast, another theory. But then the third that I heard once and I just don't buy is the the least believed for me is pinpoints. If you think of a map with a GPS and you can create pins or waypoints, these tree structures, there's some people believe they're used to mark food or water sources, which Native Americans did do this. They used arrow trees, but I tend to believe it's more territorial than anything else. And then the final one that I'm going to talk about tonight is rock throwing. Now this is obviously a close quarters communication problem is that it can mean more than one thing based purely on temperament. Okay, for instance, picture yourself walking towards a person and they just go ape crap crazy and they start throwing rocks at you, screaming at you to go away. This could be out of anger because you're pissing them off for whatever reason. It could also be out of fear, and they want the fear to leave. Okay, but yet if you're walking down the sidewalk and a buddy beams you with the snowball, this is usually a playful gesture, of, you know, of fun. So rock throwing could mean different things based on the animal's temperament, which sadly we don't have the ability to guess until it's most likely too late if it's fear or anger. I once had a rock tossed at me, <clears throat> well, several times, but one time in particular I had a rock tossed at me, and I tossed one back. And then another rock came at me, and I tossed it back. And another rock came at me, and, I, and, and this went on for about three, four, five throws, and then nothing really became of that night. Nothing really happened at night sighting, anything like that. Just something was lobbing rocks at me, and I was lobbing them back. I wasn't throwing them hard. They weren't coming at me hard. But I also had a rock tossed at me once, and I tossed it back. 
and uh, there was the sound of crashing brush moving up the hill. So that rock toss could have meant, hey, it's a fear thing, get away from me, okay, you're not going to leave, I'm leaving, but either way, we just need to separate. And then I have a report of a person who, um, they had a, a football-sized boulder lobbed at them. And he assumed due to the size of rock, the closeness of the proximity, and the, the way that they were thrown, the power and force, even though none hit him, he felt that they were aggressive because after the tossing, it was followed by a very loud, high-pitched scream. Um, and he felt, felt that this was very threatening. Um, not always, but the majority of reports of rock tossing happen after dark. I would say 55% night tosses and 45% day tosses. It's extremely close. Um, and oddly, the most of the day tosses were reported to feel or be assumed as threatening. So, the night tosses they thought was more curious, playful, smaller rocks, lighter throws. Um, although there are reports of it literally raining rocks on people. I mean, just rock after rock after rock after rock after rock after rock. Or several rocks, like thrown up like a handful. Like, imagine going to a gravel parking lot, scooping up a bunch of rocks together in two hands and just winging them at someone, you know? Like 30, yard, 30 rocks at once and just raining rocks on them. The problem is that you can't guess the temperament behind them. But generally speaking, anytime I've had a, a rock thrown at me from a certain direction, I've always thrown one back just to see what the heck happens. I mean, I've heard so many people where they've been out in the woods and something has happened, <clears throat> and they're like, nope, I'm gone. I'm out of here. And I can't help but wonder why, because you're out there for that. So if that happens, don't leave. Why leave, you know? Um, so yeah, toss a rock back. If you find a, a tree structure, I will say one thing I've noted over the years is that usually, generally speaking, you'll almost always find another in a 50-yard radius. And somewhere, wherever you find that one, there's generally sometimes one more, sometimes two more, sometimes... But generally, there's never just one. I've always found that second or that second and third or that second, third, and fourth one within and not clumped together like the one and then the other within a 50 yard radius and then the other within a 50 yard radius of that one and then the other within a 50 yard radius of that one um but i found that they generally do come in twos at the minimum um i believe seven was the maximum so, just another little thing in there about tree structures. But, anyways, folks, that's it for um, this one. This concludes part one. 
and part two will be coming up and they're like i said they're possibly a part three most likely a two but i have one two three four five six eight more topics to go through when it comes to language so most likely a third part i don't know yet we'll see we'll see how it goes but um yeah that's it for this episode part two will be coming out relatively soon uh, everybody have a great week. Um, we're almost to, well, tomorrow's hump day. Tomorrow's Wednesday, and then we've only got two weekends, to, or two days to go, and we're into the weekend after tomorrow. For me, it's Tuesday. Um, going to try to meet up with some friends at Mohican this weekend, Mohican State Park, and do a little hiking and whatnot. So we'll be out there. But, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Get out into the woods. We don't have a whole lot of nice, nice, nice weekends left. Um, yeah, part two will be coming soon.